Hello, you're listening to a podcast from the Poetry Translation Center featuring the poems of David Huerta from Mexico. I'm Sarah Maguire. David Huerta was born in Mexico City in 1949. Since publishing his first collection of poems in 1972, he has won numerous awards, including Mexico's top literary prize in 2005 for his lifetime contribution to Mexican literature. He writes a regular column for the Mexican magazine Prosecco and runs a literary workshop at the Casa del Lago of the National Autonomous University of Mexico. In this recording, you'll hear nine different poems by David. Each poem is read first in English translation by Jamie McKendrick and then in Spanish by David himself. David's poems were translated by British poet Jamie McKendrick with the editorial assistance of Tom Boll, the PTC's expert on contemporary Mexican poetry. David's poems are read in the same order as they appear in the chapbook we've published. You can download a copy of the chapbook and find out more about David and all the other poets we've translated by visiting the Poetry Translation Centre's website at www.poetrytranslation.org. Poem by Gottfried Benn I had to go out, but a poem by Gottfried Benn stopped me in my tracks. You've no idea quite how disturbing that poem was. A flower fell apart in the middle of an autopsy, and the doctor who'd cut open the corpse saw how those petals landed among the inner organs. Even the medic's rubber gloves were covered with petals and blood. It was utterly breathtaking, but only a poem, and I had to go out. I'm not sure if I left, but the images of that poem by Ben, frankly not a very appealing figure, never left. They stayed here. But how they stayed here, those images, the ghosts of those lacerating images, is something I must come to terms with. It won't be easy, but I have to do it. This poem is about uh, being in the house and getting out to the streets of the big city. It is also about what a poem by this German expressionist uh, poet uh, says. It's a terrible poem, as, a, as my own poem says, and um, I think it's a, it's a poem about poetry in many ways, and the experience of reading poetry and being caught by poetry and by a very impressive imagery like that of Gottfried Benz. Poema de Gottfried Benn Tenía que irme, pero un poema de Gottfried Benn me detuvo en el arranque de ese impulso. No saben ustedes qué poema terrible. Una flor se deshacía en medio de una autopsia y el doctor que había abierto el cadáver veía cómo los pétalos se atoraban en las vísceras. También los guantes del médico se llenaban de pétalos y de sanguasa. Era todo impresionante, pero solo era un poema y yo tenía que irme. No sé si me fui, pero las imágenes de ese poema de Gottfried Benn, por lo demás una figura no muy simpática, no se fueron. Se quedaron aquí. ¿Cómo se quedaron aquí esas imágenes? Las huellas de esas figuras desgarradas es algo que deberé investigar. No será fácil, 
Lo sé, pero debo hacerlo. Thirteen Attempts on the Life of Trivial Love. The epigraph is from Luis Fernandez, the Naked Anarchist. If the word is the basis for action, let's deliver the word from its domestic servitude, infecting it with cancer, with the most venomous and incurable virus, and hurl it at the body of trivial love. One, widowed reasons why it happens that I'm tired of being a man, torn, fertile liquid of the woman I'm not, clear liquid overflowing from the breasts I don't possess. Two, always the enigmas of coitus conducted with myself, Euroborus, Merbius strip, evidence left by a handful, a mob that spreads within me, circulates, wants something, loves, loves itself. Three, there are women, nightmares of mine, dead inside me, discarded like scalps. Four, in the photographs of me as a child, I pale into the background, a tangle of trembling carnal energy, without smiles, without fear, without neurosis. Five, mysteries of my lips under that imperious, solipsistic moustache, the hirsute landscape of minor characters. Six, the sense of touch, sweat, my own, a man's, at times, over flesh in joyous half-light, unknown, thirsting flesh, unforgettable flesh, with a heart sharpened and made buoyant, and other ancient heartbeats, generous flesh, cleaving to me, to my embodied fictions of someone else, of my own shady self. Seven. A drought divides us, both the flame of my spine and your fiery vertebrae, Know it forever. Eight. Ah, sudden chasms opening in my appetite, coming of age and its frustrated heavens, the gardens of such predatory hunger that the male skull, dramatically underlit, senses with gritted teeth. Nine. Phallus and sperm, towering symbols and meticulous trinkets of trivial love adamantine tombstone in my adult loins. Ten. And yet who wants this guilt anyway? Dead fragments of the gymnophallus of the vulva cave. Guilt. Eleven. I don't want these rooted guilts like countless devotional scapulars hung inside the wrong side of my manly robe. Twelve. I give my man's word how much it weighs, severely circulates, distilling the gentle, muscular scent of giving way, of stepping out to the pavement's edge, of stretching forth a hand, merely tendons, veins. Thirteen. My words would like to heal this wound, bitten deep by trivial love. The poem ends with a uh, quotation from Vicente Alejandre. Love. Love, stay your impure stride. Uh, this is a poem in sections or a series of uh, short poems about uh, trivial love. Love. Uh, the second line of the first poem is a quotation by Pablo Neruda, 
Sucede que me canso de ser hombre. It happens that I'm tired of being a man. I take it uh, in, a, in a literal sense, trying to explore the possibilities of becoming something different than a male individual. And in general, this uh, exploration or attack against trivial love is also an attempt to subvert the traditional lyrical poem with the even hyper-traditional subject matter of love. And uh, the series is uh, headed by a quotation by the novelist from Valencia, Spain, Luis Fernández, The Naked Anarchist is, is uh, the title of the novel where I took this, this uh, quotation from. And so I'm going to read Trece Intenciones contra el Amor Trivial. First, the epigraph by Luis Fernández, de El Anarquista Desnudo. Si la palabra es el principio de la acción, liberemos la palabra de la esclavitud doméstica, rellenándola de cáncer, del virus más venenoso e incurable, y lancémosla al cuerpo del amor trivial. 1. Razones viudas por las que sucede que me canso de ser hombre. Líquido desflecado y fértil de la mujer que no soy. Líquido terso, cristalino, que sale de los senos que no tengo. 2. Enigmas siempre del coito conmigo mismo. Uróboro, anillo de Moebius. Evidencias de una manada, de una multitud que se difunde dentro de mí. Circula, quiere algo, ama se ama. 3. Hay mujeres, mal sueño mío, muertas en mí, arrojadas como cabelleras. 4. En mis fotografías de niño estoy indiferenciado, un amasijo de palpitante energía carnal, sin sonrisa, sin miedo, sin neurosis. 5. Misterios de mis labios, bajo el bigote imperioso y solipsista, hirsuto paisaje de los caracteres secundarios. 6. Tacto y sudor míos de hombre, a veces, sobre una carne en penumbra deleitada, carne desconocida, sedienta. Carne imborrable, con un corazón afilado y leve, y otros latidos milenarios, caudalosa carne abrazada a mí, a mis ficciones concretas de persona, mi yo turbio. 7. Una sequía nos divide, mi vertebral llamarada y tus ansiosas vértebras lo saben interminablemente. 8. Ah, instantáneos abismos de mi apetito, la mayoría de edad y sus frustrados paraísos, los jardines parásitos del hambre individualista, que va sintiendo el cráneo macho secamente, resplandeciendo por lo bajo y con los dientes apretados. 9. Falo y esperma, grandes símbolos y minuciosos avalorios del amor trivial, losa diamantina en mis lomos adultos. 10. Pero ¿quién quiere culpas por lo demás? Pedazos muertos del falo gimnoto, pedazos muertos de la vulva caverna, 
culpas. 11. No quiero culpas prendidas como millar de escapularios en el embés de mi falda de hombre. 12. Doy mi palabra de hombre y cuánto pesa. Circula austera, devuelve un aroma musculado y gentil, de cedo el paso, de ir por el lado de afuera en la banqueta, de extender una mano, solo tendones, venas. 13. Mis palabras quisieran restañar esa herida, la mordedura del amor trivial. After the end of the series, there is another epigraph by the Spanish, the great Spanish poet Vicente Alexandre. Amor, amor, detén tu planta impura. Open and shut. You open the blade of a flick knife so it drips transparency. You shut the restless cube of night and a stream of shadow ramifies. You open and shut the liquid diaphragm of my heart and at dawn I arrive in the stately tenfold starlight of your hands. This is one of the shortest poems that I have ever written. It's an eight-line poem, and it's uh, about uh, the experience of seeing and experiencing what the loved one does to the self. Abres y cierras. Abres un filo de navaja para que gotee la transparencia. Cierras el sonámbulo cubo de la noche y un río de sombra se derrama. Abres y cierras el diafragma líquido de mi corazón y amanezco en el decuplicado y lento destello de tus manos. Prayer Lord, save this moment. There's nothing outlandish or miraculous about it unless it holds a hint of immortality, a breath of salvation. It looks like any number of other moments. But it's here now among us. It casts its yellow light and swells like the sun or like flaming lemons and tastes of the sea, of loved hands, and smells like a street in Paris where we were happy. Save it in your memory or deliver it into the light that sets on this page, barely touching it. This next poem is called Plegaria, Prayer. It's really interesting because maybe it's the only poem that I have ever written written about um, with the form of a religious text. But obviously it's a poem about memory and specifically about the memory of, a, of an experience with a loved one. It's a love poem. Plegaria Señor, salva este momento Nada tiene de prodigio o milagro Como no sea una sospecha de inmortalidad Un aliento de salvación Se parece a tantos otros momentos Pero está aquí entre nosotros Y crece como una luz amarilla de sol Y de encendidos limones Y sabe amar A manos amadas Huele como una calle de París donde fuimos felices. 
sálvalo en la memoria o rescátalo para la luz que declina sobre esta página, aunque apenas la toque. Oral Gritty frost from the radio's speaker in the car's nomadic shadows. A swamp of sounds in which hearing's needle can barely move. Out of nowhere, a torch singer slices through Wittgenstein with a cutlery of cantejondo. How does she do it? Unstitch, unseam, language itself, make the world flow, and, if that wasn't enough, hit the twin peaks of grace and tragedy. The car, anointed with music, slips into the night. The next poem is called Aural. It refers to the hearing, one of the, one of the main five senses. I am convinced that there are more senses than five, but I'm not going into this right now. I'm just going to read Aural, which is a poem about an experience on the road. It, can, it might be called a road poem, but it's also a musical poem. Aural. Escarcha sucia del audio en la penumbra nómada del automóvil. Ciénaga de sonidos en donde la aguja del oído apenas puede moverse. De pronto, una torch singer desmenuza a Wittgenstein contenedores de cante. ¿Cómo lo hace? ¿Cómo desenlaza, destraba los lenguajes, hace fluir el mundo y por añadidura suma la gracia y la tragedia? El automóvil entra en la noche ungido por la música. Heaven's Kitchen Heaven's Kitchen is supplied with infernal utensils, sagging lilac-colored cauldrons, fat forks between whose prongs are tangled strings of archangels spit and frayed voices that rose from the left-hand shirt of God. A soup was being cooked when love appeared, a rare broth sprinkled with flaming scriptures and glints of seaside holidays. The oil became fire, seeped into the skin and stayed, vigorous, iridescent in the eyes of the blessed. The elaborate coven stopped work. Elongated odors invaded the heavenly kitchen, pure spices for the feverish construction of spring and its rippling. Aprils whose flowers are teeth, whose jaws are crammed with dragonflies, Eros's entire wardrobe for the salad with its curled coiffure, the brilliance of stabbed embraces and the sea of hands, blue as can be, multiplying. The poem I am going to read now is entitled Cocina del Paraíso, Heaven's Kitchen. It's a, in many ways a surreal poem because of the imagery, but I would rather say that it's an erotic poem in a strange way, meaning that the sensual experience of love uh, is uh, intimately mixed with, uh, with food, as the poem Uh, declares in almost all of its lines. Cocina del Paraíso Había utensilios infernales en la cocina del paraíso, ollas dobladas de color violáceo, 
hinchados tenedores, en cuyos pliegues se ensartaban saliva de arcángeles y voces deshilachadas que provenían de la camisa izquierda de Dios. Una sopa fue preparándose y apareció el amor, un caldo peregrino adornado con inflamadas escrituras y reflejos de playa en vacaciones. El aceite se hizo fuego, entró en los cuerpos y luego se encajó, activo y iridiscente, en los ojos de los bienaventurados. El aquelarre barroco se detuvo. Longitudinales olores invadieron la cocina paradisiaca. Limpios condimentos para el edificio febril de la primavera y sus ondulaciones. Abriles de dientes florales. Mandíbulas llenas de libélulas. Todo el ropaje de eros para la ensalada y sus rizos. El esplendor de los acuchillados abrazos y el mar de las manos todo azul y multiplicándose. Entropy in Wiesbaden You peeped out over the Roman wall into the German street, battered by the slant, stubborn rain. What you saw was Europe worn away, its crowded, fractal script, lots of money, well-cut clothes, prim dwellings, curt gestures, ghastly food, And finally Goethe, in his memorious courtier mode, patriarch, santo doctus, mode of the all-enlightened poet. Nothing to tell on your return except for the now constant final rain. A breath of the Holy Spirit entered the mouth of the passing moment. But you, present, more diligent with detail than the Middle Ages of the Black Forest, bore witness to the Puritan sermon, and the post-industrial dust, the overbearing views of some academic, the counsel of an editor astray in Frankfurt, entropy engulfed Wiesbaden, while over and over you were reborn against the blaze of time. The poem Entropia in Wiesbaden, Entropy in Wiesbaden, is about a lot of things. To begin with, about the urban landscape in Germany, but also the forest in Germany, nature's landscape in Germany. It's about, uh, in the end, it's about love and the presence of the loved one in this strange environment for the two of us. Entropia en Wiesbaden por el romano muro te asomaste a ver la calle alemana bajo la lluvia tenaz y declinante. Lo que viste fue el bullicio, la fractal escritura del desgaste europeo. Mucho dinero, finas ropas, edificios cuidadosos, gestos agrios, mala comida. Goethe, en fin, en su áulico, nemoroso, y patriarcal papel de santo doctus, poeta enciclopédico. Nada que contar de regreso, nada sino la lluvia ahora pertinaz y final. Un soplo del Espíritu Santo entraba por la boca de los minutos. Pero tú, presente, más cuidadosa que las edades medias de la selva negra, atestiguabas el sermón puritano 
y el sedimento postindustrial, las palabras eclipsantes de cualquier académico, los consejos de algún editor despistado en Frankfurt. La entropía se apoderaba de Wiesbaden y tú renacías incesante contra el fulgor del tiempo. Spell for September It has an epigraph Green fire, fog in the air In an hour, a half hour Let it disperse like the fog Let it fly off like a butterfly Tzotzil, prayer to cure epilepsy Let the hand open to the mirror world of dreams Let the eye shut on the clenched bunch of nerves Let the back unwind in lucid repose Let the mouth widen under night's electric charge. Let the neck relax in the flower of sleep. Let the nostrils flare to the white scent of day. Let the leg stretch from the journey's magnetic force. Let the pubis ignite in the velvet embrace. Let the hip curve in the breeze's grace. Let the ear awaken at the ringing call. Let the hair spread from the skull's wall. Let the chest be lit within the splintered cry. Let the shoulder sleep before the falcon's flight. Let the foot lose its way in the sorcery of time. Let the throat darken with the syllable of space. Conjuro desde septiembre is a poem that I wrote mainly to use the wonderful quotation that is the epigraph of the poem. It comes from a so still prayer to cure epilepsy and is very very beautiful in my view it's a part of a healing ceremony among the indians of southern mexico and i use it as a signal to pinpoint the nature of my own poem which is also a prayer or an invocation or a spell to cure epilepsy. Fuego verde, niebla en el aire, en una hora, en media hora, para que se vaya como una niebla, que se vaya como una mariposa. De un rezo sotzil para curar la epilepsia. Conjuro desde septiembre. Que la mano se abra hacia el espejo del sueño, que el ojo se cierre hacia el manojo de los nervios, que la espalda se suavice en el reposo cristalino, que la boca se distienda bajo la electricidad de la noche, que el cuello se afloje en la flor del reposo, que la nariz se eleve en el perfume blanco del día, que la pierna se alargue detrás del magnetismo del viaje, que el pubis se encienda en el terciopelo del abrazo, que la cadera se curve en el esplendor de la brisa, que la oreja se despierte bajo el tintineo del contacto, que el pelo se derrame desde el muro del cráneo, que el pecho se ilumine entre las astillas del grito, que el hombro se duerma ante la huella del neblí, que el pie se extravíe entre las magias del tiempo, que la garganta se oscurezca con la sílaba del espacio. The child is father of the man. I don't know how to seek you out inside me, child that I was. 
whether I have to scrape with gritted nails in memory's plot or call you forth with drastic invocations I don't believe in. You're lost, not lost to yourself, only to me. But all the same, I'm you, or so they say, the ones who seem to know more about me than I do or than you do. In the time that's given to a life, you had your own time, wide and stretching out as far as the edge, the margin of endless play. I know you played once as I'm playing now, but this isn't to meet you. I'm your repetition, if only in the curtailed splendour of the game, its guilt and innocence. Wordsworth declares that you're my father, himself playing a weird and wild game with the years, succession and genetics. For my assembled parts, the biological thing, I had another father, and now he's dead. But you're alive, no doubt about it, you're alive, like a pulsing shadow inside me. Yet I have no knowledge of this inside. When I examine the interior of what I am, I find a mass of inchoate forms that even by an effort of memory are barely distinguishable. But you are there, untouchable, invisible. Come closer. I sometimes think you don't want to for fear I'll kill you or that deftly you elude me out of an unfathomable will to hide. Then I suspect you have no fear of me, as the shadow has no fear of the body that cast it on the wall. It could be that you're always here, and that you're the sacred form of a cosmic ignorance that should torment me. Though perhaps, better still, you've sounded the depths of visionary wisdom. All the same, I know you hate such big words, maybe because you've no knowledge of them nor they of you. Among countless other things you may be, I can understand that you're precisely this, the ignorance of big words. That for the present moment of your absence or of your manner of hiding, this is enough for me. In the meantime, in dreams... I croon your songs without meaning, and awake I try to place them in the irregular lines of serious play, this other edge, this margin. The last poem that I am going to read has a title which is a line, a very famous line in English poetry by William Wordsworth. It's also a very strange statement. It is strange because, in a way, it's a revelation and it's a mystery at the same time. The title is in English, so I'm going to keep it that way. The Child is Father of the Man. And it's a poem about childhood and adulthood. No sé cómo buscarte dentro de mí, niño que fui. Si debo escarbar encarnizadamente en la memoria o invocarte por medio de magias repentinas en las que no creo. Estás perdido, pero no para ti mismo, solo para mí. Sin embargo, soy tú, o eso me dicen quienes parecen saber más de mí que yo mismo, o que tú. En el tiempo de la vida tuviste un tiempo propio, largo, dilatado hasta el confín de juegos infinitos. 
Sé que jugabas como ahora yo juego, pero eso no es encontrarte. Soy tu repetición, siquiera en el esplendor mínimo del juego y sus inocencias y sus culpas. William Wordsworth afirma que eres mi padre. Él juega un juego estrafalario con los años, con las edades y con la genética. Por las entrañas y por la biología, mi padre fue otro y ya está muerto. Tú estás vivo. Y es cierto que vives como una sombra palpitante dentro de mí, pero no conozco ese dentro. Cuando examino el interior de lo que soy, hallo solamente un amasijo de formas indistintas, apenas discernible por un esfuerzo del recuerdo. Pero estás ahí, impalpable, invisible. Acércate. Pienso a veces que no quieres hacerlo para que yo no te mate, o te me escapas minuciosamente por una voluntad incomprensible de ocultamiento, pues sospecho que no me tienes miedo, como no le tiene miedo la sombra al cuerpo que la proyecta sobre la pared. Es posible que siempre estés aquí y seas la forma sagrada de una ignorancia cósmica que debería atormentarme, pero quizá, mejor aún, tienes la hondura de una sabiduría visionaria. Sin embargo, sé que aborreces tales grandes palabras, acaso porque las desconocías o porque ellas te desconocían. Entre mil otras cosas, puedo entender que eres precisamente eso, el desconocimiento de las grandes palabras. Que por el tiempo presente de tu ausencia o de tu estilo de esconderte, eso me baste. Mientras tanto, en sueños, murmuro tus cantos sin significado y en la vigilia intento ponerlos en líneas irregulares de juego serio, ese otro confín. Thank you for listening to this podcast from the Poetry Translation Center. You can find out more about our work by visiting our website at www.poetrytranslation.org.